Welcome back to another episode of Baxter's Buzz. I am Baxter E. Hall. Welcome to my brain. Welcome to my frequency. Enter at your own risk. Now, today I have a special guest with me who's joining my frequency. Um, he is an HR advocate, a self-proclaimed disc nerd. We'll get into that later. And a connection coach, uh, Mr. Eric Kershaw. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing well, Baxter. Thanks for this conversation. I'm excited about it. Thank you for spending some time with me. Um, we met, wow, it's been a couple of months now, I think, um, at an uh, HR Unite event uh, that was in Franken. We'll shout out to Tina Marie and the entire um, HR Unite crew. Um, wonderful wonderful event um you were one of the speakers there and you were talking about the, the disc assessment and you said oh, i need a volunteer and because i'm foolish i raised my hand and didn't know what i was getting myself into right um and i think that opened up the the lines of communication but after the, 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 that part of the, the session was over, we ended up just chatting about assessments and personality and all sorts of cool stuff. And we just, we've stayed connected. So um, I, I think what you do is fascinating. I think you're just a fascinating uh, gentleman and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious for other people to learn more about you. I appreciate that. I, I remember that conference fondly, Tina Marie does a fantastic job and uh, to have it in Frankenmuth. I'm from Michigan and uh, I grew up going to Frankenmuth, you know? And so of course, everyone's talking about the chicken we're gonna enjoy and the, <laughs> the German ambiance. But anyway, she did a fantastic job with that conference. And honestly, talking with you really was a highlight of that experience for me. I remember coming off stage and there was kind of a, a social period and uh, you and I got to talk and, and pretty much continued talking <laughs> until the, <clears throat> the end of that happy hour and had a really yeah. good conversation. So I'm glad we could come back to it now. No, yeah, thank you. And I appreciate you saying that that was very kind of you. Uh, um, we, what we didn't talk about is is your platform and we'll get in, into it, um, HR Hot Seat. You guys uh, just celebrated uh, your fifth year in existence. Uh, let, let's start there, maybe maybe move backwards. Can you talk about uh, HR Hot Seat, your, your reason for really starting the platform five years ago and kind of how it's evolved over the years? I'm happy to, and that's a dangerous question. I get so excited about this stuff. You may have to cut me off in three hours. <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> um, about five years ago, um, six to be exact, but between five and six, I was kind of going off on my own. I had been a corporate HR professional for 16 years and left that to, to do my own thing and really wanted to um, stay in front of HR, which is where I had come from. You know, I'd, I'd been in HR for quite some time and I want to stay in front of HR uh, professionals and just remain a part of that conversation and um, realized that I had really no network to speak of. When I was happily employed, I, I didn't bother going to networking events. I don't think I even had an active LinkedIn profile and realized I needed to do something about that. And so um, I've been hearing uh, about this mastermind style 
conversation where like-minded people come together and they hold each other accountable and they tackle common challenges and build trust. And I thought, well, that would, that would be a great way to bring HR professionals together. You know, um, especially being an introvert myself, um, I wasn't finding the style of networking, the really meaningful networking that I was looking for in other places. And I thought, well, if I could create this mastermind community where, you know, eight to 10 HR professionals came together on a regular basis, had meaningful conversation, you know, got to build trust with one another and left feeling supported in the work that they were trying to do, you know, there may be something to that. Yeah. Little did I know, five years later, we would have thousands of members in 11 different licensed chapters around the country. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I, I love the fact that you saw an opportunity and you sort of just built it from, from, from scratch. Uh, talk about you, your, you know, we were joking before we started to record about you being an introvert and your way of connecting you know you're, you're very intentional about the connections that that you make and the way you sort of network um i don't even know if you even uh use that term network like uh, talk about the, the the way you go about connecting with other folks whether it be hr hot seat or just in general like you know like you and i met at, at the event with uh and, and frankie move well, meaningful connection is a through line to much of what I do. And it's certainly not to imply that people who aren't introverted don't value meaningful connection. So, you know, I certainly don't mean to say that, but as an introvert myself, um, I really, as I am networking, if we want to use that word, I am looking for those meaningful connections. You know, um, I, I facilitate a session called Network Like an Introvert. And it's, it's not necessarily because I'm showing up as a subject matter expert, but I have been so fearful over the years and anxious about networking myself that I thought, well, what better way to get more comfortable with it than to surround myself with people who also want to figure it out regardless of their personality style. So I started leading this session just as much to help me as to help anybody else become a little bit more comfortable with the concept of networking. You know, but I said, sort of in a nutshell, um, net, uh, introverts tend to um, value deeper conversations with fewer people. So rather than casting a larger net, you know, um, they have a, a smaller group of people that they tend to be closer with. Um, net, uh, introverts tend to be um, fairly good listeners, active listeners, and curious, you know, analytical, asking follow-up questions. Um, those sorts of things. And that's really how I approach connection with people, whether it's in person or in a virtual conversation like this. I'm eager to show up and share anything that will be a value, of course. Um, but at the same time, I'm uh, sometimes in discussions like this, I have to hold myself back because I have so many questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to know where you've come from and how you do the work that you do and what's behind it, what your motivations are. And I think that curiosity really lends itself well um, to networking environments where you have an opportunity to really get to know somebody and go home with a business card that you want to do something with rather than a stack that, uh, you know what, I didn't really get to know any of these people. I don't know what to do with these cards. And honestly, I might not even care 
to remain in touch with those folks because I didn't get to know who they really are as individuals. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got to say this because this is um, this is rare uh, for me. <clears throat> and I don't know. I don't think I'm proud of it necessarily, but it just is what it is. I spent <clears throat> I did about 15 takes of, of, of a recording yesterday, just like one of the ones that I do on my own talking about networking. And I don't know what it was, Eric, if I just couldn't find the right words um, or if I didn't flow. I, I don't know if I was being just a little bit more self-conscious or critical. But what I really talked about and all those takes, if I could piece them together, I think it would be some good stuff. But it was really about uh, that curiosity, right? Uh, for the record. None of them will see the light of day. I I I I I deleted them all, and I'll I'll try it again, maybe. And I, it's not that I hadn't talked about it, but I was just feeling very passionate. And I think, I think my passion. Uh, I, I don't think it was. It, it came across as well as as much as I felt it. So it's like, bring some value, man. Don't show up to these things. You know, people people will show up uh, to a group of people with business cards like they're handing them out like they're, they're raffle tickets and they're just like hey how you doing i don't i don't know you we haven't connected why do i why do i want this why is this important to me um what what you know uh my my five-year-old took him to karate for the first time this week and um you know, he's just a little ball of energy and we're waiting to get our little, you know, uniform and get, you know, make sure he's in the right class and everything. And there was a, a kid who just walked walked up um, and said, hey, uh, is this his first class? I said, yeah, he, the kid was probably 12. He said, he's going to love it. And uh, he said, I've been doing it for, you know, seven years or whatever. You know, he's like, I love it. And it was just a, a very kind gesture. You know, the 12 year old wasn't trying to hand me a business card or, or, or he was just adding, he was just adding some value. And I, I, I think that um, sometimes we don't think that what we have is valuable, but it could be something as simple as just a, a couple of comforting words to a, to a parent, right? Um, it goes a, a long, long way. So, um, and and then the other piece is the the you know you being an introvert. You know you people have this idea of like introverts like that you're gonna be like uh, Jim Morrison. You're gonna be performing on the stage, looking at with the the crowd to your back, right? You're gonna be like looking at the band and like singing your song. But if you didn't know that you were an introvert. You know, you, you, you know, you spoke as well as anyone, you know, it, it, it's talk about how you can. That's not being your you, you're not always trying to thrust yourself into the forefront, but talk about how you can are able to do so much public speaking and, and how you become so so good at it. Well, I appreciate that. First of all, that's nice of you to say I it didn't come easily you know when i was a, a corporate hr pro i did my best work in a cube on excel 
you know, tucked away from colleagues and the general public. <laughs> you know? I don't mean to paint this picture of introverts being like hiding in the closet, you know, <laughs> like turning off the lights and shutting doors. <laughs> but um, actually, one of my favorite memes from the past year and a half is introverts unite just separately and in your own homes. <laughs> and that's kind of what the pandemic has been. But a lot of us have said we've done our best work over the course of the past year and a half because of how um, this sort of space, the social space has allowed us to to really focus and um, connect with people in our own way instead of in ways that might be less less comfortable. But when my boss first came to me when I was um, in the corporate world and said, you know what, you know more about um, progressive coaching um, and DISC in particular than, than just about anybody else, I would love for you to begin facilitating those workshops, you know, leading discussions with you know, dozens of people at once, a Baxter, I almost crawled underneath, underneath my desk. <laughs> I just, I, I loved the thought of being able to share an expertise that I felt that I had, but I had no interest in getting in front of 70 people for three hours to do it. And it's taken a lot of work and it's taken being intentional about putting myself outside of my comfort zone, knowing that that is where the greatest growth sometimes happens. And, you know, I've said so many times that when I'm feeling my most anxious about doing something, oftentimes that means that is the thing that I most need to be doing. Mm. And, um, you know, whether it's facilitating a workshop or getting on stage at a conference, I mean, to this day, I love doing it. It's some of my favorite um, stuff to do. But to this day, um, in the minutes beforehand, my heart is beating out of my chest. You know, yeah. I get on stage and I'm welcoming people and I'm attempting to be, you know, funny in some way. It, a lot of that is to calm myself down <laughs> so that I can um, move along with something that I know is going to be beneficial to me. And I think that's ultimately what it, what it comes down to. If you want something badly enough and you're clear on how it's going to be valuable to yourself and others, um, yeah you will learn to adapt to make it possible. And it doesn't mean it's ever going to be second nature or that it'll ever be easy or, you know, some of these other things, but it will be doable and you can even excel at it because you want it badly enough. And I think that's where I am now with, with public speaking. My heart may still beat out of my chest every time I step on stage, but when I'm on stage, it's where I know I should be. Yeah. And you're sharing something, that, like you said, that you have a great passion for and, a, you know, an expertise in. Right. So I'm sure that helps. And that can be, um, I don't know if misleading is the right word, but someone can look at that and say, well, Eric, you look so comfortable on stage. You must love being in the spotlight. You must be an extrovert. And I say, let's have a conversation, get to know me. You'll understand that I'm on stage, not to be in the spotlight, but to share an expertise that I feel is going to be valuable to my audience. And what energizes me is not the thought of, you know, hundreds of people in a room. It's the opportunity to connect with individuals. You know, I look out into, you know, the, the audience of, at HR Unite and I see Baxter and I want to know Baxter. I want to know Baxter's story. You're not one of hundreds of people. You know, you are an individual that I want to come to know. And so in our social time afterwards, you and I have a conversation. I'm not bouncing around to everybody who is in that audience because that individual one-on-one -on -one connection is really what I thrive on. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I would consider myself more of an extrovert. Um, but I'd still vet, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, I know that you, you know, not saying that all extroverts are one way and introverts are, all, but I appreciate strong connections as well. And I, you know, yeah, the synergy, I don't think you can fake it. And, and I think that, you know, as an extrovert in these settings, I don't, I appreciate the connection, but I, there's other people that I want to make sure that I don't miss because maybe I have some connections with those folks as well, right? Yep. So <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's similar, but also, you know, you know, clear some clearer differences. I want to talk about the the the, the networking piece a bit more, but th- this is a perfect opportunity to talk about DISC and um, how you got involved. Not so much how you got involved, but but sort of why do you nerd out on it so much, and and why have you made it? You know, this is what you are presenting to companies, right? You are helping organizations in many ways work through these assessments and and, and bringing the value, whether it's a, a, a sales team, whether it's a group of HR uh, folks, or, you know, anything in between. Talk about, out of all the assessments, like what stood out to you and, and, and why you have so much passion around the, the DISC assessment. Well, it is such a nerdy thing to say that <laughs> the thing that I get most worked up about is a personality assessment, but I do. I left a, a very comfortable, um, well-suited uh, corporate HR job of 16 years to build an entire business around a personality assessment. And I come by it very honestly. And to be clear, it's not personality assessments in general. It is one in particular, you know, and that is DISC. And I, I know enough about the others to be dangerous with them. But um, yeah, DISC is what I, I really get excited about. And I, I think it's, well, I was introduced to it. I was a psychology major, you know, in school and and really didn't come to know DISC uh, during that time, but it through my corporate HR role. Um, that was, DISC was a common language within our organization. Um, it was more than just an assessment or a, a, a tool. I mean, those are good things, but I think when something becomes a common language and it's connected to the values of an organization, then you know it has some legs to it, you know, that there's some some power to it. And I saw the impact that DISC in particular as an assessment could have on individuals, helping them on themselves and enhance self-awareness, but then also on teams, helping teams communicate more productively with one another and their stakeholders, whomever those people happen to be. And when I started to realize, okay, this is this is actionable. It's it's simple to wrap your head around. It's it's actionable. It's um, easy to run with and apply uh, to your day to day work. I was really then curious about what was possible with it, and yeah. started Harmony Insights, which is my primary company, to help organizations and consultants leverage DISC with their teams. You know, to build and grow teams that communicate effectively with diverse personality styles. And um, I think it's, I've had people, I'm thinking back now to the people that I've had in various workshops that regardless of their title, regardless of their age or their tenure, you know, in their industry, 
they're sitting down to ask fundamentally important questions about who they are and how they do their best work, how they connect meaningfully with other people and communicate with influence. And I mean, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir extra, but like that is such an interesting conversation to be a part of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so um, I was introduced to it a few years ago <clears throat> when I, when I um, was leading um, a team and um, there was this seminar, this uh, working with difficult people, right? And so someone said, you, you may want to go to this because of this, you know, team member that you have on your team. And I said, yeah, you, you know, even if I don't get anything out of it, I give me a day away from this, from this person, right? But uh, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, um, we, we get there, we start talking about this disc assessment, and I, I wasn't as familiar with, with that one. And we're talking about ourselves and we're, 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 you know, on a scale of what, you know, and I'm like, okay, we, he keeps asking about us. When we're going to get to these knuckleheads that we're all here to try to like <laughs> deal with. Right? right. And then it clicked. I went, Oh, okay. I see what he's doing. We have to learn our style, how we operate, how we communicate best, right? Because just like anything else, if we don't know ourselves, we're not going to be able to, be, we're not going to be much help to anyone else. And so it started to click and, and um, yeah, very, very interesting stuff. So, so um, to g- give me an example, if you wouldn't mind, um, Eric, about some of the work that you would do in an organization, like just between uh, inner teams and, and that communication piece and how this can help mm-hmm. with that. So you mentioned being at a, at a conference for difficult personalities, we'll say, well, as it turns out, I think whenever any two or more people are together in the same space, there's gonna be conflict. And you know they, they, you don't have to qualify either person as a quote unquote difficult person. It's just you're different people, you know? and. Um, so there's going to be conflict. And so um, there's a lot of talk or there has been for years about, you know, eliminating, alleviating that conflict, you know, resolving it entirely so that there's that there isn't any, you know, and I'm a strong believer that conflict can be a good thing, you know, it has to be managed productively. And so what I like to do is I like to come into organizations. And it's a spectrum. There are organizations on one end or teams on one end that are um, toxic, dysfunctional, you know, not communicating well with one another or their stakeholders. Um, there's been turnover, trust issues, um, and conflict is a word, honestly, that comes up pretty regularly, right? And, and those people um, <clears throat> can use some assistance. At the other end of the spectrum, there are teams that are operating really well. And they're they're firing on all cylinders and they're hitting the ground running and whatever metaphor you want to use, you know, but they can still use some help enhancing self-awareness and relationships with one another. And so I see my job as coming in and using DISC as that common language, helping people to connect meaningfully with one another, to be vulnerable, to say, this is how I do my best work. This is what I need from the world in order to feel as though I'm connecting with other people. This is my natural sales style. You know, this is my natural leadership style and really embrace that. 
and be proud of whatever comes most naturally to you. Number one. Number two, recognize that your sales style is at times not going to match the buying style of your client, that your leadership style at times is not going to match how the people you're trying to lead want to be led, you know, and that your simple communication style isn't always going to resonate with somebody else. And then three, once you understand yourself, you appreciate this cognitive diversity that we we all bring to the table. Number three is, what do I do about that? What do I do with that information? How can I adapt so that when I'm leading, managing, selling to, or simply communicating with Baxter, I'm confident in what I bring. I understand and appreciate and embrace and celebrate what Baxter brings to the conversation. And then I'm able to change my language to suit him, not insist that he changes his language to suit me. And the most effective communicators, leaders, fill in the blank out there are those who are able to adapt to others and not make others adapt to them. And that's where influence in the workplace really begins. Mm, wow. So uh, you mentioned sales. Um, I'm, you know, I'm in a sales role, right? I consider it, you know, a, a very consultative, but it's still sales at the end of the day, right? I mean, my job is to uh, work with potential clients and, and, and figure out ways to bring them on board, add value and say, you know what, uh, how are benefits being handled um, there? Here's what we're doing. I think that we can add some value. I think that we can put you guys in a better position to be successful as, as an organization, right? If we're talking about this assessment um, as far as from a, a a relationship from a vendor, let's say, you know, client and then a, a vendor relationship, let's say, how, how can I work with someone who has a different style than, than me and, and communicate properly in a, in a way where, where the value, I want to make sure that the value is communicated, right? Regardless of our styles, I want to make sure that they understand um, the value proposition. Mm -hmm. I think sales ends up being the perfect analogy for any conversation around DISC or how we relate to each other. Daniel Pink, who wrote the book Drive, also wrote another book called To Sell as Human. And he makes the point that we are all in the business of influencing and persuading other people. If you've ever told a family member that they should go to a restaurant that you went to or see a movie that you've seen, you're selling those ideas. And people shy away from this term selling, but it's simply sharing your enthusiasm. So if you're in an official sales role, there's a product or a service that you have to sell. If you're doing it well, you're simply sharing genuine enthusiasm for that product or service. Well, right now, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't consider myself wearing my sales hat now, but I very much am. You know, I'm showing up to this conversation with a passion for DISC and to a certain extent, I'm not trying to twist arms here, but I really want you and anyone listening to this conversation to get excited about what's possible with DISC because I believe in it so genuinely, you know, but if unfortunately sales has gotten this bad rap where, if, you know, people come to me and say, Eric, you know, you sold the DISC really well. I'm going to like, oh, I, I don't know that I wanted to sell, <laughs> you know, that wasn't my goal, but I'm sharing my enthusiasm for it for sure. Yeah. So that being said, 
I think what, what you're asking is really no different than we can bring it back to the beginning of our conversation being in a networking environment. And too many people show up to a networking event being so focused on what they need that they lead with that. And so I show up and I say, hey, Baxter, it's nice to meet you. You know, I'm an authorized partner for Wiley. I work with the DISC assessment. You know, you should use DISC for these reasons. Five minutes into our conversation, I'm like, so tell me about you and your job. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I've completely lost my greatest opportunity to be of service, to be of value, and to be influential in that conversation because I showed up to speak and not to listen. So when it comes to connecting with other people and wanting to truly build your influence with anybody, regardless of who they are, the more you know about that person and their headaches and what they need, the greater your opportunity to be of value and to be of service to them. Yeah. And so I have to ask, I have to show up and say, you know, tell me about your job. What do you like about it? What do you what are the headaches? What are the things that keep you up at night? Yeah. You know, what tell me about your relationship with your current benefits providers and have that conversation and say nothing, you know, very little about me or what I do. Once I ask you those questions, get the information that I need to respond a little bit more, uh, have my response be a little bit more well informed. Now suddenly we're having a meaningful conversation now rather than shooting from the hip and just I mean really just <laughs> telling you information about what I do that may not be useful to you. Everything that i'm responding with is tailored to what I know your greatest headaches and challenges to be that's right, I think that's that is generally beneficial incorporating disc into it then allows you to have a, a another layer of meaning here where I better understand myself. I can pick up on the language that you're using and for example realize that maybe my detailed approach my detailed orientation to how i would normally want to share information isn't going to work for you because you're, yeah. you're not you're not talking in terms of detail you're more big picture oriented and i need to adapt my approach to your language wow you just opened up this room in my brain that I don't even know if I want to go down that hallway right now. <laughs> but, but, oh my gosh, like my, my mind is just like exploded because I, I think about um, the whole like uh, code switching and um, in, in the black community, it's a very, uh, it's a hot button topic when we talk about code switching um, briefly be, because communication is about co connecting with whoever your audience is right and and there's there's this thought that you can't code switch and be your authentic self right and we've talked about both of those things lean lean into who you are lean into your style having good, great knowledge of it but if i'm talking to eric and eric is a different um, style of personality style than, than I am. And I'm, and I'm trying to convey a message to him. If, I, if I'm, if, the, if you speak German and I'm speaking English, I better try to figure out how to communicate. Right. And so there's the, you know, there's a, a, an amount of code switching that goes on in every conversation that we have, regardless of 
who we are and our backgrounds, right? Yes, I love that point. Jeez, I feel like we could talk all morning about that piece alone. And that's really, that really is insightful. Um, I know there's special, special meaning around code switching though, and I don't want to dilute that, that term. Um, but to your point, yes, there's a certain, in a good way, in a, in a valuable way, there's a certain amount of adapting and, and flexing that we all do when it comes to how we communicate. And I think your language opportunity was, or um, example was the perfect analogy. If I'm in Germany, and I can't speak German, it's gonna be harder for me to get what I want, let alone be influential, right? If, if I'm in a restaurant and I just want water at the table and I can't ask for it in German, my odds are less of getting what I need, you know, let alone again, be, be influential in that space. So learning at least the basics of the language of whomever you're speaking with is beneficial and valuable to you. Now to come back to the code switching term, and this is, I don't know if this will take us off on a tangent or not, but that is something that um, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about as we are welcoming people back to the workplace who have potentially been out of the office for so long. And we are saying, HR professionals included, which is a large part of my audience, we're saying, you know, come back, we embrace you as an individual, bring your whole self back to the workplace, you know. Uh, just make sure that you dress this way, that you talk this way, <laughs> you know, that you value these things. We put all these limitations on who you can be and who you're bringing back. So I think we're talking out of both sides of our mouth. I love, assuming it's genuine, I love that people are saying, bring your whole selves back to work. But I don't know that we are ready to embrace and celebrate what that really means. And so mm -hmm. enter code switching you know, where we're saying to any community, you know, show up who you are at, with who you are at home, the person we've been seeing on Zoom potentially over the course of the past year and a half. And then when they do, we shy away from that. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to embrace the trauma that people are bringing back with them. We don't know how to embrace the languages that people are bringing back with them. And that, that's when it gets concerning. Yeah. Um, related but separate conversation potentially but i love that you brought that up because there's that gray area in the middle where you want to ask to what extent should i be showing up um, proud of and embracing of the language that i speak naturally and to what extent should is it okay and almost um encouraged to speak somebody else's language in the workplace because it's going to allow me to be more influential to connect more meaningfully to build more genuine rapport as i go yeah, yeah, that's again. It's a, it's a slippery slope, right? Because you you want to make sure that you're still speaking it and communicating in a way that best represents you, that you're most comfortable with. But you also have to make sure that it's connecting with the audience, or else you might as well be talking to the wall. Um. Yeah, I told you the hallway. I didn't know if we wanted to go down, but that but that, that this is why we connected when we when we first met because it's it's these types of things that kind of lead to these other theoretical things that we're, we're trying to figure out how does it really work in real life um one of the things that we talked about when we met at, at this, this when we were at this happy hour was uh the fact that you uh you sing a bit it's not something that you I you do. 
uh, talk about uh, much, although I think you did mention um, part of it um, during, while you were presenting, but my mind kind of mm -hmm. escapes me. Mm -hmm. But there's an interesting story that you share with me um, about uh, the late, great uh, Miss Aretha Franklin and how you shared a stage with her. I did. I, I, I would love to sort of uh, hear that story and how that came to be. And this is this is a, a podcast first. I, I haven't shared this before. A, a number of people who know me do know that I I sing, and it's it's in the title of my company, Harmony Insights. You know, there's no accident that the, the word harmony shows up in the name of my company. Um, music really does motivate me and, and inspire me in so many ways, both personally and professionally. Um, I've been singing in classical choirs since high school, um, pretty much consistently. At one point, I was in three full-time choirs here in Chicago and on the board of two of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I say it's something I spend a lot of time doing, you know, if, if you're not talking with me in this context, I'm probably going to be singing <laughs> choral music and performing of some sort. So long story short, I do a lot of that for um, amateur and sort of semi-professional groups. On occasion, um, recording artists will come through Chicago and there will be a, a show or a tour and they will come to the groups that I sing with looking for singers, backup singers in particular. And um, so Aretha Franklin <laughs> was um, part of Oprah's spectacular is what it was called oprah's final show was filmed over a couple of days at united center and uh, oprah was surprised by any number of her friends um, in the industry and a number of those people needed backup singers <laughs> for their performances at the united center and um, aretha franklin happened to be one of them and I remember our rehearsal where we're all kind of sitting around the space somewhere in Chicago and uh, we're all waiting for Aretha to come in and she shows up with her um, with her group, uh, people that she presumably traveled with. And she was in a pink, I think it was like a tracksuit sort of thing. <clears throat> and she sat down at the piano and played Amazing Grace, wow. which is, I believe, what she performed on Oprah's Surprise Spectacular. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room. I mean, it was just, as you can imagine, so soulful mm -hmm. and uh, so moving that, you know, we were there sort of to do a job, I suppose, to, to back her up in various ways. But for a moment, we were this like intimate audience and we were experiencing something that very few people ultimately would get to experience, which is the behind the stage, sure. um, backstage sort of experience with Aretha Franklin. And uh, to this day, it's one of my my greatest performing memories. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. And great and great story. And thank you for sharing that uh, Baxter's bus for the first time. <laughs> um, I we we both know that we we could talk for hours. Um, I I want to just thank you for your time today this has been great um yeah i, I the, the, there's so many other things that we we will talk about and hopefully we'll get to talk about them even if they're not uh, being recorded so um it, it's a it's been an honor to to get to know you 
thank you again for, for sharing some of your expertise. Um, and uh, where can people find you? Like, um, I know you, you you have a presence on LinkedIn. Where, where can people find you, Eric? I spend altogether too much time on LinkedIn, probably. So that would be the first place I'd recommend people go. My company is Harmony Insights. So harmonyinsights.com will have a bunch of information about DISC and other things. And then also I run a, an HR uh, networking community, an HR mastermind, as we talked about earlier, um, called HR Hot Seat. Um, I don't know if I even mentioned that earlier in our conversation, but it is called HR Hot Seat and it's at hrhotseat.com. It's an inclusive mastermind community of, as I did mention, thousands of members now in 11 different licensed chapters around the country. It's entirely free and we, we are um, welcoming of, of anyone who considers themselves an HR pro or in service of HR professionals to come together for truly meaningful connection and productive conversation around how we can do our best work in the HR discipline. And that's again, hrhotseat.com. This has been a pleasure. Um... I just want to uh, tell everyone that that's watched this. Uh, thank you for your continued support. Uh, please share, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. If it's if it's adding value to you, don't be stingy. Share with other folks. Okay. Um, <laughs> on, on behalf of Eric, I am Baxter E. Hall. I will tell you all that you are all worthy. Uh, you just have to embrace your own frequency. Okay. Um, until next time. Uh, peace.